Welcome to Family Business Conversations, a podcast where we talk with family business leaders and global thinkers about the unique challenges we face as a family in business. I'm Lisa Morel. I'm a second-generation member of Family Business, a recovering corporate lawyer, and an overall family business enthusiast. Maintaining and growing our family legacy is the mission. It is my pleasure to welcome to today's conversation, Mary Duke. Mary is an internationally recognized independent advisor to families facing the complexities of substantial wealth. Her work is anchored in facilitating family meetings, in leadership development, and strategic planning for family enterprises. Mary has headed two private family offices and founded a leading bank's global family wealth program. She has been internationally recognized for her work as STEPS Private Client Award and the Family Wealth Report Award for Specialist Advisor. Mary, thank you so much for joining today's conversation and welcome. It's a treat to be here. So I, we were having this conversation offline before hitting, you know, record. And I was, we were talking, Mary has, as you know, extensive experience with families that face very high levels of complexity and substantial wealth. And we were talking about that first to second generation transition and how time and time again, we feel like we've talked about before in this podcast that Ugh, we get a call and say, Lisa, we need to define better roles. There are really no clear roles here in our family business. One person is making all the decisions and we might need to find some way to move this forward. Um, the family needs and the business needs are the same. You know, there's no clear separation of what goes where. Or there's, a, there's some conflict that happens just because of the fact that we're working together, that that transfers to our family and there's nothing more painful than having you know conflict within my family or we can't even mention the s word right that big s word the succession what's gonna happen we haven't planned mary you in your in your years of experience what is it that families in business need to get right in that first to second generation transition that we know is the hardest well, and it's interesting, and I appreciate carving out the first to second generation as a separate conversation, because I do work with families across the spectrum, and it's almost a different practice when you get downstream. And I am less focused on the G1, G2 than I am around whether the wealth creator is still in the system. I find that working with families where the wealth creator is still alive, active, may not even be active in the business, but still is influencing in the background. That is its own practice area. And I'd suggest it's the G1, G2 idea. Um, There are some real special challenges they face. And I know you've talked with a lot of people, you've probably heard a lot of things, but some of the unique attributes I see in that space. One, and it's something that's changed during my practice period is the longevity, the demographics of humanity have changed. And so G1 is not exiting the scene when it might have traditionally been expected. 
And it's not that they're just hanging around. They actually have productive lives that live a lot longer. And, and so what I find is you start bunching up generations. It's not just G1 to G2. Now you've got G3 and maybe even G4 coming up. You've got many generations, which really adds to the complexity. Because if there was a lack of clarity about who in G2 is going to lead, when you've got G2 and G3, <laughs> it gets even more confusing. So I think having a you know real work and focus around roles and expectations, and and terms. You know, can we talk about terms? Can we talk about um, creating unique and different roles, and focusing on two two characters that I think are very important. You need to learn to be great owners. Because everyone is likely to have a role as a owner, whether they're owning it through a trust or in shares or however it's being held. The influence through ownership is so important and underrated. Very often families, especially families in those early generations where the wealth was created, they think if you're not in there running the business, you've abandoned ship. It can't possibly be done right. Um, So starting to get comfortable and it takes time and work and practice and and some trial runs to get to a place where you can start envisioning the family running the business from a role of ownership from their board of directors. Um, So that's an important piece of the, the transition succession story, I think in G1 to G2. Another thing that's important for families and I always share with them is even if a family has real clarity about who they're going to pass the role to generation to generation, it's very likely a family's going to hit an interregnum. They're going to hit a period of time when that anticipated successor isn't ready, isn't old enough, isn't, isn't there, is, is maybe doing something. There will be a period of time when the family might have to bring in an interregnum leader Um, look to external leaders, non-family member leaders to fill those blanks. So having the capacity to to do that comfortably is important for a family because it might not be with this transition, but the next one down the line, you might need it again. So I think think that's an important piece of the work I do with G1 to G2 is just really having them focus on the importance of the owner role. Um, Another big challenge in that wealth creators still around is that a lot of the attributes of great wealth creators are not attributes of great team players. (laughs) And generally when you're moving down a generation, you're moving into a larger peer group, which requires a different type of leadership authority and decision-making. You know, when, when the wealth creator gets to make all the decisions, gets to hold all the cards, gets to (laughs) handle everything. Um, They have not modeled good behaviors for the rising generation. And that rising generation typically steps in when they succeed and, and uses all the same tools they watched, usually dad, wield. And that gets really uncomfortable. How many times have I been pulled aside for the conversation about who died and made him king? I hear exactly. siblings saying, who made him king? He's not king. He's my peer. He's my brother. Why is he behaving this way? So a lot of work around finding good 
role models and mentors for these rising gen leaders, the success successors. So they know their ways of being and their ways of leading that are different from what you may have seen in your parents. Uh, so you mentioned, and, and I love what you just mentioned, Mary, because, and I want to touch upon a couple of the things that you highlight that are essential, right? For that first or second generation transition. And as you mentioned, whenever there's a wealth creator, what if we're talking about this today, and I always tell our families this, if we're having this meeting today, it's because someone did something right, very right, right? Somebody has created a business, has definitely, that is going to probably transcend in time. And we have an opportunity, as simple as that. We can either sell a business, you know, or we can really find a way if those families that want to continue together mm -hmm. to do things. And but that will require what you mentioned, which is a natural change, because as a family business, you know, um, creator, you needed to make decisions on a quick basis. What is that? An, an autocracy, right? You need to. And it was necessary. But when we, whenever we transition to a second generation, right, and it's not one person making the decisions, it's probably going to be brothers and sisters because usually we're going to either inherit in equal shares, right? We're going to have to find a way to, to move into a different sort of decision-making or governance model, mm -hmm. which is more about consensus maybe and less about one person making all the decisions right and that in itself is a change it's a change of leadership right that needs to be in some way in some way harnessed and you and that ties in exactly with what you mentioned about understanding the role of owners because i know in latin america and in many other as you mentioned cultures if you're not working in the business then you can't be considered maybe you don't think that I have some sort of role as an owner. And that's a myth, right? And I would love to hear a little bit more about that. That's a myth that we need to break because we know, we know in, our, in experience in years of this field that it is about building, you know, responsible future owners. And that requires responsible next gen to hold different positions, either as shareholders, as members of a board of directors. You yeah. mentioned board of directors as a given, right? It, I think having an independent and active board, we know is an essential piece to the future of a business, of a family yeah. business. And even an executive role that's going to take mentorship. Yeah. How do you how do you lead or help families in that don't have these kinds of, you know, structures in place? How do you feel about that? How, what's your experience? Well, it, it is a journey. And one thing I'd like to, to go back to is the point about the transition being to siblings in G2 and that they may own the assets equally. Um, my experience is generally that there is some authority vested in one of them. And it might be by fact that the individual is running the business. So they are given decision-making authority. It might be put in a trust. There might be a shareholder agreement. But someone is often anointed to be the decision-maker. And so this is a huge discussion and a huge place in my work Um is around that. And I, it's the distinction between legal authority and moral authority. Correct. When dad gives you, and we'll use dad in this example, gives you 
anoints you, the decision maker for your siblings. If you attempt to exercise that authority the way dad did, which is basically in his head, he makes the decisions himself. He doesn't communicate it to anyone. There's nothing transparent because it's all inside his head. You can do that legally. You've been given the legal right to do that. But if you impose your decision-making in that way, the way you learned and the way you've legally been told you can, you are almost guaranteed to wind up in real troubles. Maybe not today, but as things move forward, as people get disgruntled, and frankly, I often say, and as, as a recovering lawyer, one conversation with a lawyer at a cocktail party can start the litigation. You know, a lawyer goes, oh my God, I could do better for you. You should be on the board. You should be running that. That one conversation <laughs> can upset the entire apple cart. So being prepared to exercise that authority morally, not just legally, which means having open conversations, opening up the decision form, doesn't mean people get to vote, doesn't mean your siblings get to vote, but to bring them into a forum where you say, listen, here's what's going on. Here's the decision that I'm faced with. I'd like to hear what you all think so that that will go into my decision. And I will tell you what my decision is and I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Um, having that kind of transparency and that kind of a forum for open dialogue and it requires working with both sides. It requires working with the person with power to really help them understand how they can be self-aware of how they're registering with their siblings, but also working with the siblings to respect the exercise of authority. That, you know, someone does have to make this decision and, and to help them look at the situation and understand some of the risks inherent in being the person who makes the decisions. Um, in the United States in particular, the being exposed to lawsuits from your siblings, your fellow shareholders, from beneficiaries is extensive. People get sued all the time. And so knowing that they carry that weight and they're making decisions, hopefully with, with that in mind, um, is really important. That decision is, I would say, one of the most important and transcendental decisions that it opens up families to a conflict or not. Yeah. And in, in my experience, families have not yet made this decision, right? Families that I that we've had the pleasure, you know, to be able to guide through this. Succession is something that's coming soon, right? And if something has not happened, an unfortunate event, it's like, how do we make this decision? And whenever I talk to, you know, wealth creators, as you say, or that founding generation, as a mother or as a father, it's such a very hard decision, right? To be able to choose who might be the best possible candidate to lead into a future, um, your project. And one of the good governance practices, and I, and I know um, you, you talked about the fact that you usually counsel families that this decision has already been made. 
But one of the ways, as you mentioned, that a board of directors is such an important piece for families in business is that time and time again, I tell them that that is not a that is not only a family decision. That is a business decision. Right. And when we subject that decision, every board of directors of any company in the world is tasked with the role of choosing the CEO. Yeah. So that should be a decision that should be colored, right? With a very well-dimensioned board, yeah. which is doable, right? And you're going to have independent, um, impartial views. Yeah. And that decision is going to be the best decision for the company and the best decision for the family. Because at right. the end of the day, we are owners, right? And as a shareholder in a family business, I know that I feel that whenever there's that transparency, as you mentioned, right, of how we choose the best pilot for our our our, our plane yep. is the way that all families is going to be cohesive in and into this decision. You also mentioned something that time and time again comes up, the 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 there is a very big distinction between power and authority. Power is something that we can delegate. Tomorrow, we can decide who's going to hold a position of power. You can go ahead and sit down with your lawyers. We're both recovering corporate lawyers, right? And decide who's going to be in what position, president of a company. But the authority, you know, the capacity to lead not only morally, but also factually a team is something that must be earned, yeah. earned. So for sure, that is the one of, a, we've touched upon, you know, where families in business from the first to second generation sometimes go wrong, right? And how, what, what are the things that they should be thinking about? I love the fact that you use the word comfortable, Mary, <laughs> not, not something that I hear a lot. Some families need to become comfortable with the types of decisions that they're going to have to make, right? So this is something that we should be able to transition and start talking. When should families in business start thinking about these kinds of process, Mary? What's, you know, it's, it's a, a question often asked and, you know, it's, the family will answer it for you if they're in crisis. We need to work on it now. We're firefighters. Exactly. If there isn't a presenting crisis, it's, it can be challenging to get everyone on board with the reality that all of this, you know, you've tapped into the getting comfortable. All of this takes time. And I will tell a family, the process is the product. It's the living it that's the product. You know, um, if a family comes to me and says, we want a family constitution, I will often tell them I'm probably not the right person to work with you because I use the example of the United States. Um, the United States, in, when it was founded, was 13 completely disconnected, very different, scrapping little colonies little tiny economies on the edge of, of this new frontier. And they were able to, in pretty short order, make a decision among all 13 very different colonies to take on the most powerful country in the world at war. They made that decision pretty quickly, but it took them eight years to come up with a constitution. It takes time 
to come up with a constitution. And even when you get it, it's usually sort of in progress always. So I say to a family, if we do the work together right, and we get the, you know, you start building habits, you start building new ways of being together, you start establishing some rules of conduct and behavior and, and decision-making frameworks and, you know, measures of, of proficiency that you're going to adopt and adhere to, and a vision for the future, you start putting all this stuff together, the constitution will fall out from, from the minutes of the meetings. It, the constitution's easy after you've done the work. But you can't sit down at the beginning and go, let's start drafting. How would we like to, you know, and and I know that's a little bit controversial because there are an awful lot of advisors who will jump right in and, and we'll deliver a constitution to you. I've got binders full of constitutions. I It's not like I couldn't walk in with a template and go, let's go. We can just fill in the blanks and run with it. It's the process that is the product. That is the value add to the family. And I do think invariably they begin to see it. They begin to see how they've gotten comfortable, that it's not hard to come into this room, that some of the old habits, like the old boys go in the closet and make the decision and the women are all left out. You know, those They start to move away from that and realize that, oh, wait a minute, the women weren't hysterical. They actually added some valuable insights. and. And we were able to keep the confidences and we were able to work through that. Yeah, it took a little bit longer, but in the end, we've got a real solid coherence around it. Anyway, I think you you win them over through the process. They start to see the value of it. Process trumps product, Mary. I can't agree 100%. Family constitutions are not something you download from the internet and you can just fill in the blanks and hit print and take a wonderful picture like we did 10 years ago in our first constitution, which we weren't really a part of because mm-hmm. we didn't live in, our, in, in the same country. But then families take a beautiful picture and have a leather bind, binder and put it on a beautiful shelf. And if that is not the result of a change in the way we make decisions and the way we plan, right? In the way we've, as you say, harnessed our values, our family, our mission, where we're going, our objective plan, that is nothing but paper, right? Just go on Google. You can see many, (laughs) many templates of family constitutions, right? It's the process. That's the richness in which we all understand what it is that makes our rules so complex, right? Not complicated. What is it that makes us as a family in business complex, not complicated? And the fact that we all have a role, right? We all have a role in this system. And what is the role that we're playing at each time? Um, We have a, 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 a family that we counseled that went ahead and did hats, right? They, yes, they, yes. they did hats for each I of the time. When are we sitting down as a family, a family council member? When are we on the board of directors and when we are in the shareholders, right? Yeah. And we really need to, and that's the process. The process that, ad, that real advisors and I'll do is handholding families through learning yeah. the differences and understanding that whenever we see things in a different way, that's when probably we're, we're hindering some sort of conflict. And that's the clarity. And I don't know if you have any cases uh, or any, any, 
any examples of families that have learned this. But in our case, one of uh, one of those families not only did those roles, right? Yeah. And we're like, we need to sit down. We need to roll because we get confused. Yeah, it's natural yeah. to get confused. And- Absolutely. And, and the hats is a, a perfect analogy. And, you know, and talking to families through bias, cognitive bias, and, you know, one of the examples I'll often, I, I have an inflatable beach ball that I'll bring into a meeting and I'll, I'll stick it in the middle of a conference room table. If we, I hate to meet around tables, but once in a while, usually it has to do with board meetings. So we are on, on a board table, but I'll put it in the middle of the room and I'll ask one person to describe the ball. And they describe the ball and they describe the colors on the balls, but invariably they can't see the color on the backside. So to see the whole ball, they need to hear from the person on the other side of the table, what they see. And it's just, you know, it's a simple way of demonstrating everyone's perspective is needed. It's not just nice, it's needed to see the whole picture. And if you're carving out a generation or if you're carving out a gender or if you're carving out people who are less connected with the business, they might not be working in it and you're you know, being exclusive to the people who are in the business, you're missing some perspective that is valuable and important to the family. So, so finding ways to be inclusive, finding ways to get everyone's perspective, super important. And on that alone, I think it is interesting that if you look at the best practices of corporate titans, they are always looking for very diverse independent directors. They want the diverse perspective and they value people with experience elsewhere. And if families can can think about what that could mean for them as well, as they begin the evolution from an owner-founder-led business to one that has a more formal governance structure, whether they move to an advisory board first and then a formal fiduciary board, and how, you know, whether they control that fiduciary board or if they start to actually bring in an independence with a vote who, who can actually outvote them. That's a very that's a ways down the path for most families. Um, But the value of independent perspective, what if you had that value in a family member who, who lives and breathes the family's values plus has that external perspective? What an incredible value that could be to the business. So anyway, it's, it's helping them see There are lots of ways. There are lots of different ways. And I think that if I had to describe most of my work, it's around helping families realize how many options they have, what what paths they can follow, that there are tools, there are experiences, there are ways of doing things that they may not have thought of that can work. And um, I, I never use the term best practice because I don't think there are best practices in what we do. But I can surely share experiences. I can say, oh my goodness, I've worked with a couple of families. Here's some of the things I've seen. Here's things that fell out and didn't work so well. So you might want to consider that. And here are things that are very different about those families that might not translate to your family. So, you know, being able to share experiences, I think that's part of the role of, of bringing in facilitators is not only being the, the coach that runs alongside them as they, they work through this stuff, but also being able to pull out learning and examples from other work helps them correct and that's that's what's going to help transform what is a a family business into a business family right which is the the big the big transformation that we see 
Um, I wanted to go ahead and, and move on and ask you about something that that we get asked upon time and time again, Mary, because as next generations leading or growing up, we've grown up in the family business, we feel a very big connection, right? And legacy to be able to work and move forward and and take that baton and be able to to guide towards the future something that we've already discussed has taken a lot of work to build right and i completely disagree i completely disagree with the generalized um statement that next gens that have grown up in some sort of wealth are necessarily all are, are people that are, are accommodated or they're not hardworking or, you know, that generalized vision, right. millennials are existential, entitled. you know, entitled, correct. The word is entitled. And because time and time again, especially with the families that I work with, the, we have a great generation that is being, you know, prepared and that wants to be able to, to you know to do things right because we really want to do things right we this is like the chicken with the old golden eggs we all know that it is important for our family to get things right and have this business grow grow for our for all of us so but these next gens we face a resistance to change mary there's a resistance absolutely a resistance to opening the doors and there's a fear there. Yeah. You have worked extensively with, you know, with very renowned uh, family business leaders <laughs> and their next gens. What can you tell us about your experience? Wow. Um, first, I hear the pain of, of this generation, that G2 who, and interestingly, very often in you know, the succeeding generation to these great wealth creators, grew up right next to the work ethic, the, the intensity, the entrepreneurialism that built that business. So they often hold all those same skills and the same passion for the business. So they're, they're often so ready, often referred to as the silent generation, right? G2 is sort of, sits in the shade of this mighty oak and, and tries to do its thing. Um, a couple of things. One is I always try to remind G2 how to not discount their influence. So often the conversation is around, I want to be on the board. I want shares. I want to vote. I want, I want a title. I want control. I want, and I often say, especially if they're on the young end, these are usually 20 year olds. Don't underestimate your ability to influence things through asking incredible questions. So I, I could share example after example of families where a rising generation posing a question to their elders at a critical moment has shifted the course of history. So for example, I have a family who was going through a transition, the CEO presidents, they were of the, of the company were stepping down. And the assumption was that they'd appoint another family member. We had a forum for the rising generation that met quarterly. And at that forum, we always asked the family directors of the big business to come in and just, you know, 
sit in for a panel. Very often they video in, the meetings were always on Wednesday, so they might come in by video. And this one in particular, they came in by video. And someone in the group goes, so are you guys even looking at external candidates? And someone else said, yeah, I was gonna ask the same question. Shouldn't we at least be looking at external candidates and not just making this assumption that, that you're going to pick another family member? To watch the reaction of the four family board members who happened to be on, they were caught out. And they were sort of caught going, oh, uh, um, 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 oh, uh, yes, of, co of course we're going to, right? Right, guys, we're, we're gonna talk to externals. In the end, they hired an external candidate. So those kids had no authority, but they posed a critical question. They made, they pushed their elder generation to go further. And, and again, I could give you example after example. So I always remind these kids that they have, and I use kids, you know, they're adults. Um, they have an enormous influence in ways that they need to, to understand and be thoughtful about wielding because they actually do have authority. Then getting to real authority and earning that, you said it before, it's about earning. And I, I have developed actual curriculums, I, I, stewardship development, board development, owner and beneficiary development type programs where this rising generation is given huge opportunities, but also challenged to step up and deliver and do. And they're given big tasks. They're asked to work as a team, as a cohort and as a team. So you start to see how they behave with other family members. Can they start to develop a leadership um, sensibility that works with peers, which is different than when you're dictating down. Um, and, you know, both vertical and horizontal development. So a lot of, you know, technical learning, learning about how boards function, learning about corporate, you know, structuring and other things, capital finance, but also all the vertical development around, you know, emotional intelligence and self-awareness and trust and, and managing conflict and all of that. As these kids go through this, their parents are watching and start to see the competency and start to give their respect to this generation. The generation, and, and you know, I, and part of this is always getting on other people's boards. So when a kid goes off and is on another family's board and is, you know, valued and being treated well by another family or another company, that has effect on <laughs> Suddenly they're like, well, hey, you know, I guess my son's giving good advice over there. Maybe I do want him in my room. So two things. One, just understanding they do have some authority and power, even without the formality of it. And two, how can they start to build their reputation and earn the respect of their elders so that they're almost, they almost have to bring them back in and, 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 and put them in, in good positions. They've earned those roles by building a portfolio. Do not discount their influence, right? There yeah. is influence as being a family member and asking right questions. What an, what an interesting example, you know, about a question that would have probably been asked on the board of directors, yeah. but it came from the family. 
Yeah. Something they that were embarrassed. Them, and yeah. they were embarrassed. Of course, we need to consider this option. <laughs> and that leads us to something that I know is, is a part of what I do a lot. And that's why if you can follow me on, on social media, I share a lot about understanding family governance and understanding corporate governance. Because in order to be an exceptional family business owner, an exceptional family business CEO, we must understand basic corporate governance, financials, yeah. and that families and business are different. And we need to understand that component of, of, of family governance, whatever each family develops their own, right? Um, I also, you, you also touched upon when families are ready. This is something that is time and time again, whenever I, I have um, clarity calls and with, with families and business that I am open to having, I love to hear, you know, your struggles. I hear, love to hear your stories. I tell them that this is like the psychologist sometimes. This is something that until families understand and are ready for these kinds of process, there's, you know, a little that you can do to push, you know, to push this process. And there is there there is the time that comes when families are ready, because at the end of the day, there is one thing that brings them all together, which is one family unity above all, mm -hmm. sometimes even above the the an economic um, perspective from the business family unity. And obviously, as a family in business, if we. And we are proud to own and we live off operating businesses, the, the future of these operating businesses and having those, fam those businesses be transformed in a way that are adapted to a very volatile you know, new world is essential. Right. And what there is no better generation, I guess, to lead, I believe, to lead in this change than the, than, than the next gens of today. We are prepared uh, as stewards. Time and time again, I see next gens that are stewards, which they really believe that we are here to take on um, a role in future benefit of next generations. But for that, I wanted to add great points that you bring, it, bring up, Mary. I also wanted to add a good practice you've touched upon that is essential. And it is about having clarity in how you're going to be measured. Because whenever you do not know how I am, I am fulfilling a role and a lot of families don't have clarity in how are we going to measure our, the, our CEOs? How are we going to measure each year? And I know other, other businesses, this is something very, very, especially large businesses, this is something very natural as part of corporate governance. Um, CEOs report to a board of independence and every year we can measure when if you are a family business, you also need to develop these tools. This should be a part of this tool because that is the way that we're going to have, you know, an adequate clarity of how next gens are filling these shoes. You said them. The shoes are big to fill. There are ways to fill them. Um, they're going to. And then I wanted to close, you know, with a something that I know is very real. Things will be done differently. And that is true. Things will be done differently. That doesn't mean that they will do be done necessarily worse or better, but they will be done differently, probably. Whenever families, founders, and next gens accept this and build some sort of bridge in which experience and innovation go hand in hand, that is what makes families and business cross this bridge towards a second generation. <laughs> we know only 30%. 
really do this, which is an astounding percentage, Mary. This is scary. Only yeah. 30%. So thank you, Mary, for joining us for today's conversation, giving in very generously your time and your experience in helping families in business build and transcend family legacies. That is the mission. Love it. Thank Thanks for having so me. Much. <laughs> thank you for joining us on this week's episode. Follow us on social media for more on family business governance. I'm Lisa Morel, and I look forward to our next conversation.